0: This Lent journey is a journey of descent, a journey where we remember the suffering of Christ, a journey where we recall Jesus's sacrificial love. This season, we recognize our brokenness, we contemplate our mortality, and we sit with our grief. This Lent journey is one where we stop and recognize the truth that life is beautiful, but also painful for all of us. Indeed, Easter is on its way, but we're not there yet because this is wilderness time. And though we walk through this wilderness time, we're not lost here as we take the hand of Christ as our guide. And though we walk through the wilderness, we are not alone here because Jesus companions and carries us along. And we walk through the wilderness, but we're not hopeless here. Because we see God's radiant love dawning in the distance. Indeed, God will show us the way. A way in the wilderness.
1: Well, hello, friends. We are in the weeks leading up to Easter. It's a period of time that we, in the Christian worship calendar, know as Lent. What is Lent? Lent is this period of time that is meant for personal reflection and uh, just preparation. It's meant to draw closer to God, to the God who gives us breath. It's a time to pull anything out of the shadows of our lives into the light of Christ because we desire the transformation that is in Christ. Lent is this time for us to spend with God and draw closer. So in our Lent sermon series this year, we have decided to take an unflinching look at suffering, not to beat us down, not to depress us, not to bring a cloud into a perfectly sunny day, but rather from our faith perspective, to stare into darkness. Or maybe it's more accurately stated, to stare Down darkness. You see, we believe that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was placed by human hands into utter darkness in the tomb after he was crucified. And yet, this was not the end. We believe, we believe that the testimonies from the people of God in Scripture bear witness to intense suffering. And yet the God of the Bible is known more clearly, more intimately because of these testimonies of suffering. We believe that we, as the church, that we need to be able to sit with suffering, our own and that of others. That we need to be able to hold it without feeling the need to run away from it or to fix it. There are many different kinds of suffering, all different kinds of experiences of suffering, and they're distinct from each other. We can't rate the experience of suffering. Oh, this one isn't that bad. This one's really awful. So often when people come to the pastors or our prayer teams asking for prayer or consolation, they begin with an apology. They come and say, I'm so sorry to bother you with this. I know it's not as bad as what's happening in other parts of the world or to other people. Friends, don't apologize for your suffering when you need prayer. God is not rating and ranking your suffering to see who's in really bad shape, who really needs mercy, and who doesn't today. We all need mercy. So don't shrink away. Don't feel that you have to apologize. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Only the Lord can take our suffering into his body. Scripture says by his wounds, we are healed. Anyone who experiences suffering experiences experiences it uniquely. Today, we are going to hear the story of the suffering of despair. But first, let's listen to how Jeremiah voiced such suffering. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, he prophesied over the northern and southern tribes of Israel, the kingdoms of Israel, about 600 years before Jesus was born. His word from God was that, that God would bring destruction upon them. And for bringing this word of God to his fellow Israelites, he was mocked. He was put into stocks. He was dropped into a cistern where he was meant to die by sinking into mud. The king of Babylon showed more mercy to Jeremiah than his own people did. If Jeremiah tried not to speak the word of the Lord, tried to hold it in, it was like hot fire within his bones, causing him agony. He was hard-pressed by God into this reality that he did not choose for himself. In Jeremiah 20, 14, he curses the day that he was born. There was no respite from his physical, emotional, mental And spiritual anguish. The book of Lamentations is like Jeremiah's personal diary of this time. It's rare that you hear Lamentations preached in Sunday worship, but if we can't go here in Scripture, how can we go here in our lives? And so here we go. Today, I'll be reading from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Listen to this word of the Lord as experienced by Jeremiah. I am one who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without light. Against me alone, he turns his hand again and again all day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away And broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me sit in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has put heavy chains on me. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my way. With hewn stones, he has made my paths crooked. This is the word of the Lord. How can we say thanks be to God for this word? How can we not say thanks be to God for this word? We believe that all Scripture is inspired by God and useful to us, not just the parts that we like or that make us feel better. And yet, don't we just resist drawing close to these words? We don't want these words in Scripture. We don't want to draw close to a God accused of such things, to a person serving God who is experiencing such suffering. How can we draw close? Perhaps we might visualize such suffering as this a lonely boat at sea during a storm, the wind and the waves beating against its hull, the relentless continuation of being rocked by something so much bigger than it is. It's about coming into harbor. Or being pulled further out to sea? Is that aperture in the clouds there, that beam of sunlight, is it opening or closing? Are the clouds parting or gathering? Is there anyone in that lighthouse? Or has it been vacant, deserted for years? At the bottom of this painting, you'll see the words, I am on your side. Though the wind and waves beat against your faith. And we're going to return to these words and its author a little bit later. I want to share with you the story of this painting and why it was a gift to me many, many years ago. This painting hangs in our home. It's a testimony of holy other suffering and of holy other grace. And today, it's my privilege, with this artist's permission, to share his story with you. I met Daryl and became friends with him in the 1990s, early 1990s, when we were both in a wedding party of mutual friends. He was an air traffic controller then. He was an athletic weightlifter and had a great sense of humor. Back then, neither of us were religious. Over the course of years and life and time, we simply lost touch. Out of the blue, in 2007, I received an email from Daryl saying, I hope I'm not being presumptuous. I heard you had joined the ministry. If so, do you give spiritual advice? I'm close to someone who is chronically ill, and as a result is in a great deal of physical and emotional pain. I don't want them to give up hope. So, if you could pass along any spiritual or motivational advice, I would really appreciate it. I responded and inquired about his friend and asked what this person was going through. After a while, Daryl replied and somewhat hesitatingly, re- hesitatingly revealed that it was he himself who was in this circumstance. It was he who was looking for help. He wrote, My life changed four years ago. Before that, I was a happily married man with a great son, a nice house, a good job, and a successful bodybuilding career that I was hoping to segue into a second career as a personal trainer. I started having problems with numbness in my hands and was diagnosed with a problem that required four elbow surgeries. During this time, My body reacted by developing a neurological disease called RSD, reflex sympathetic dystrophy. The disease was not diagnosed until I had it for almost a year. By this time, I had chronic severe pain in my right forearm and hand and had lost a lot of the feeling and strength in my right hand. I was taking a lot of painkillers and was being treated with nerve blocks through the front of my neck. If treated early with blocks, this disease can be put in remission. I was too late. I lost my job as an air traffic controller. The pain continued to get worse and spread up my right arm. I had a spinal cord stimulator implanted in my back, which gives steady electric shocks to cover up the pain. It doesn't help anymore. The disease has now spread to my right leg and foot and from my right arm up into the right side of my face. According to pain management specialists, the pain from this is worse than that of natural childbirth and terminal stage cancer My case is now considered incurable. The doctors have told me that there is nothing else they can do for me and that this disease won't kill me. I'll live with it for the rest of my life. They give me as many drugs as I ask for to try to keep me comfortable. I'm currently using a fentanyl patch and taking oxycodone with Percocet for breakthrough pain. My max dosage for one day was the equivalent of taking 120 Percocet in one day. It got the pain down to 7 on a scale of 1 to 10. I had to cut back in spite of the pain because I was having trouble breathing and was passing out. I can rarely sleep because of the pain of the mattress touching my body. I'm still working, but barely. My marriage is crumbling. As is the case with most people with this disease, I have become clinically depressed and suicidal. Most days, I don't want to live anymore. The future is just too bleak. When I read this, I had no words, no thoughts, no wisdom or advice. I was dumbstruck. I ended up calling my dad to ask him about this disease, as I had never heard of such a thing. My dad was an orthopedic surgeon and he immediately confirmed everything that had been said. My dad said that this disease is often misdiagnosed, wasting precious time as people try to treat the pain rather than going after the cause of it. For the lucky ones, when the disease is caught early and correctly diagnosed in its early stages, usually beginning in an arm or a leg, the medical solution is to amputate so that the pain does not enter the rest of the body. My dad knew this disease very well because he had done such amputations for this reason. Daryl was too late for such an awful mercy. It was not available to him. It had already entered his body. But Daryl didn't reach out to me asking for my sympathy, or asking for my understanding of this disease, or for medical research, Daryl reached out to me asking about God, about the God that he had heard I had come to know and follow. And he wanted to know if there was any wisdom from this God that might reach him. And thus began a series of emails over many months I began by sharing Christ with Daryl the way Christ had been shared with me. When I came to faith through my friend Lisa, sharing her faith with me. Can we just catch that phrase for a minute? We use it so frequently, sharing our faith. You see, I had none and Lisa had some. And so she shared what she had with me. When Lisa shared her faith with me, she did not spend time telling me why I needed Jesus. She spent time telling me why she needed Jesus. She considered herself a prodigal daughter who walked away from Jesus when she was a teenager. She had been raised to know the Lord. In her 30s, she realized that she had walked Away, shut the door on everything that had ever held value and meaning and wisdom in her life. She realized that she couldn't live another day without Jesus. And so she got down on her knees and she asked her Abba Daddy to bring her home. To take her back into his embrace. And she immediately felt the rush of love running to her, the embrace of grace enfolding her. And she was home, home with the God who she would never leave again. And so I began sharing with Daryl not why he needed Jesus, but why I needed Jesus. I shared what I had learned from reading and studying Scripture, from being in worship, and from belonging to a faith community. <laughs> I love the promise that Jesus makes us in Mark 13, 11. Jesus says, Do not worry beforehand of what you are to say. Say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. I praise God for this promise. And I believe and I know that it is true. It is a fact. It is the Holy Spirit who speaks through us. You see, I didn't spend a whole bunch of time researching what I needed to say to Daryl. I just needed to get out of the way of God. God knew exactly what he wanted to say. He knew exactly what needed to be heard in the deep, places of this suffering. The Holy Spirit gave me words and wisdom, God's wisdom, not mine. I just needed to get out of the way of what the Holy Spirit was doing. Not long after we started the series of emails, Daryl wrote and said that, unexpectedly, a lady at work had given him a Bible and he had begun to read it. I suggested that he just jump straight to the New Testament and start looking at the gospel accounts of Jesus Christ. I suggested, particularly, the gospels of Luke and John. And so he started reading and reading and reading. He read Luke and John simultaneously, writing back so many emails with questions and thoughts, all with an ongoing subject line, theological musings. After a while, I realized that I had a song running in my head. It was just there and particularly there as I prayed for Daryl. It's a song by Kendall Payne, and yes, friends, I was a huge fan of Kendall Payne long before she served a season here at Bel Air Church as our worship leader. She had a song called I Will Show You Love that ministered to me. I had actually memorized some of the lyrics of it when I was in one of my own deserts of despair, a season of suffering. The lyrics You have climbed an uphill road. You have worn a heavy load. You have cried through endless nights, nearly given up the fight, watched your dreams like falling stars. The heartache made you who you are. And looking back, you see that I have always been there. For I am on your side, though the wind and waves beat against your faith. So I got a copy of this CD and I sent it to Daryl. Snail mail in those days. Sent it to him and asked him to listen to the song, I Will Show You Love. And pretty soon this song was in Daryl's mind. Couldn't get it out of his mind for no good reason. And so he added the words of this song to his theological musings. In December of 2007, after many, many months of emailed scriptures and theology and philosophy, after months of questions and doubts and rabbit trails, I received an email that was different from all the others. In it, I could see that he had been pouring over scripture and particularly over the healing miracles recorded in Luke He began this email by dissecting the healing of the garrisoned demoniac in Luke chapter 8, which to him seemed like a perfectly straightforward case of schizophrenia. Then he went on to the healing of the boy with a demon in Luke chapter 9, which again he would have easily diagnosed as epilepsy. Healing miracle after healing miracle poured out in Luke's gospel, miracles that in our day and time could be easily dismissed as mere science and the practice of medicine. Why, Daryl asked, why didn't Jesus just tell them, don't be afraid, this isn't a demon, this is a common malady that can be easily treated with appropriate medical attention. But then he went on. A better question would be, why would he? The people are being asked to believe in Jesus, not in scientific method or lack thereof. Personally, I think he had me at I am. And just like that, something had shifted. He continued in this email I believe that everything I have ever done has led me to be the person that I am today. I would like to believe, but I don't anymore, that if my life had been somewhat different and that if I could have made different choices, that my life might be better today and that I could have reveled in the joy of the Lord's grace sooner. The truth is, I wasn't ready until now. Any sooner attempt at accepting Jesus as my Savior would have met with failure or would have been an act of hypocrisy. I also believe that my enthusiasm and thirst for even more of God's truth is a product of 47 years of preparation. My friend had received Jesus as Lord and Savior. What my friend did not receive was healing from his physical pain. But for the first time, through the grace of God, he was able to think about something other than his pain, other than the loss of his marriage, the distancing of his son, the loss of his job, the utter despair that had enveloped him. In Lamentations, 3, 19 and 20, Jeremiah says, The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. How often do we just focus on our suffering and increase our suffering, our despair magnified, because our minds let us think of nothing other than, than our suffering. Our minds focus on it. We repeat our misery to ourselves. We repeat the story of what's happening, dwelling on it, until there is nothing other than misery that we are aware of. The temptation of this wilderness is to believe that there is Nothing else. The enemy of God wants to meet us here in this temptation. He wants us to think that there's no way out, that we're in a box canyon, a cul-de-sac, with no escape from the suffering. The enemy wants us to think that there's a simple solution and we just need to take matters into our own hands. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, God speaks to Israel saying, I have set before you life and death. Choose life. God is the first to tell us that there is a choice, but it's the exact opposite of what the tempter would set before us and have us believe. God comes with an invitation, not a temptation. God invites us to be yoked to Jesus, to be joined with Jesus. Jesus, the one who suffered more than we can imagine on the cross. Jesus, the one who bore the weight of all the suffering of all humankind throughout eternity. Jesus can reach you in your suffering this wilderness of your despair, and he can guide you through it because he's been through it himself. He knows the way. He is the way. God can and will reach into this darkness. You see, back in Lamentations chapter 3, there is no space For Jeremiah, there's no commentary, no lapse of time from the end of chapter 20, I'm sorry, of verse 20, where he says, my soul continually thinks of my affliction and is bowed down within me. There's no space between the beginning of the next verse, chapter 3, verse 21, that says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There is nothing that changes Jeremiah's mind or his circumstances except for his will to remember that God is good and to remember it for his life, to believe it for his life. Jesus does the same thing while he is on the cross, suffering the agony of the cross when he calls to mind through his will, Psalm 22, and begins to recite it from the cross. We know how this psalm begins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we often forget how it ends. Listen to the end of Psalm 22. Jesus recites, would have recited these words, we believe, while on the cross. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him, indeed, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. After Daryl could no longer work as an air traffic controller, As an act of his will, to take his mind off of the pain, he began to dabble with painting. He found that he had been given quite a gift for capturing the imagery of soul and suffering and a way through. The Boat in a Storm painting was one of his first works of art. He sent it to me, and it hangs in our home. Over time, he developed this talent for painting, for art, and he started entering his work into festivals and art shows. He's since been asked twice to create the poster for the Telluride Jazz Festival. He owns his own gallery now. He makes a fine living selling fine art. Years ago, his son began touring with him to art festivals, helping him set up and keeping him company on the road, developing their own relationship as father and son, but also working in the development of his own son's interest in art. Within time, Daryl remarried and he is now sharing life together with a wonderful woman who cares for him and loves him no matter his circumstances. Today, I need to tell you That he is still managing the pain of RSD. I'm sorry, there's no bow that ties this up neatly. We all want this nice Christian ending where everything gets fixed. But sometimes everything doesn't get fixed. And yet we're still saved. Jesus still reigns. Life is messy. In John 16, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. May you, my friends, may you receive these words of life. Take heart. I have overcome the world, says Jesus. May you receive these as an invitation to keep going as Jesus guides you through whatever you are going through, wherever you are today. If you need help, reach out. Reach out to someone. Ask for prayer. Come to our website. Go to bellair.org forward slash care. There are resources to help you through Jesus Christ. I also pray that you will share these words of life with anyone else that you meet, a thirsty wanderer in their own desert of despair. Will you offer a cup of cold water, the comfort and the consolation that you have gained by walking through and not around and not before? Will you... Take these words into your soul and meditate on them as you remember God's faithfulness to you and to all generations. And now, my friends, I couldn't leave you without sharing with you Kendall's song, I Will Show You Love. She has been so generous in giving us permission to show this with you. Kendall posted this version During the quarantine of the pandemic, shut in a small room, forgetting what day or week it was, here is Kendall Payne singing, I Will Show You Love.
2: And you nights and nearly given up the fight and watched your dreams like falling stars the heartache made you who you are now looking back you see that I can't see, cause I have heard you cry, and it breaks my heart, for I love you so, and